Please turn with me now to Exodus chapter 11. Exodus chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After he will let you go from here, when he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people, and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you. After that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Let us pray. Lord, your word is absolutely full of wonders, and any among us who claim to know all of its secrets, to know every aspect of it, Indeed, to comprehend the living triune God, Lord, we deceive ourselves. But Lord, we are thankful that it is clear enough and that the message that you intend for your people, Lord, these things are clear. And furthermore, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We ask that he would illumine us so that we might know the truth of these things, things that would otherwise not be known in our natural hardness of heart and blindness. Lord, how we pray that you would enlighten us and enable us to recognize the fullness of the favor that you have bestowed upon the people of God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Well, we come now to Exodus chapter 11. And here we finally come. For all these plagues, we come now to the final plague, the death of the firstborn. Now, the consequences of this plague are so great that rather than there being two or three plagues covered in a single chapter, aspects of this single plague will now be covered in the next two or three chapters, depending on how you categorize these chapters. And there are many aspects to be considered of this greatest of the plagues. And the aspect that we're going to focus on tonight is the favor that God bestowed upon his people It is an emphasis of this particular chapter, and I would say it is a theme 
of the whole book of Exodus. We have already seen this. We've already seen the difference that God makes between his people and the others. We've already seen his identity of, as the covenant God who is, is visiting his people precisely because he is determined to be the people of, of Israel. It's tautological. There's nothing beyond that circle. You can't say why they've done it other than God has decided to be their God and therefore he acts in accordance with his own goodness and grace toward them. Now the introduction is given in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, I will bring yet one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward he will let you go from here. And when he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. What a, what a change of affairs that this would be the case. And first, Moses came hat in hand. Please let the people of, of Egypt go. And now, and, and he won't. He refuses time after time of each one of the first and the second and the third and the fourth and all the way to the ninth plague. Nothing doing. He's not going to do it. He hardens his heart, refuses to let them go. And now, now he will drive them out. There will be no reticence in the heart of Pharaoh anymore regarding letting the people of God go. And what we see in that is the sovereignty of God, beloved that's what we see throughout. The central theme of all of the, the whole book is the sovereignty of God, and we are seeing that. That God can so force the hand of this man who hates God and hates the people of God that he is now pushing the people out, the very opposite of what he had intended to do. God is sovereign. And an aspect of that sovereignty in particular is his sovereign grace in which he bestows favor on those whom he wishes to bestow favor. And that is our particular subject tonight. That is the, the aspect that we are looking at, the way that God is bestowing favor upon his people. Our title, if uh, you're, some of you are taking notes, it would be good for you to get the title, which is The Favor of Heaven. The Favor of Heaven. And there are three points the people, Moses, and God. Keeping it very, very simple for those who need to learn the points. The people, Moses, and God. So first of all, the favor of heaven. Let's consider this wonderful topic. It says in verse 2, Speak now in the hearing of the people, and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Now let me say first of all that this is only justice. The fact that the people of Israel left with many articles of silver and gold in their hands, this is not uh, something unjust. This was merely slaves who had been not given their proper wages for years and years and years. God in his goodness and in his justice made sure that they did not leave the land empty-handed for all their years of service to Pharaoh and the nation. So do not think that this was ill-gotten gain or, or, uh, or theft by another name. No, this was justice being done. And this justice, the people that, that they would be leaving with these things, was prophesied from the very beginning. It's no minor thing. 
If you remember back to the the sermons in chapter 3, this is a, a major category of God's prophecy regarding what he's going to do. There are various components to it, but one of those components is that they're not going to leave empty handed. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 20, So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with my wonders, which I will do in its midst, and after that he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be that when you go, you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. See, it was prophesied. This is part of the great outcome that God had intended to bless his people. And we know, we considered some of the use that that would be put to, good and bad. At, at, at some point, it was used to make the golden calf, idolatrous. But actually, later on, it was used to make the, the articles of the tabernacle by which the people were going to worship God. And the remainder there to bless his people and to, again, to repay their service in Egypt. So it was prophesied. This was part of the intention of God from the beginning. And this is precisely what indeed happens. We, we find the rest of the story in the next chapter. In chapter 12, verse 35. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses. And they had asked from the Egyptians, you, you, you understand that even this much is an act of faith, that they do what they're told to do. They, they might have thought in their hearts, what is the point of asking articles of silver and gold from the Egyptians? Surely that by this point, they already did hate us. Now they hate us even more as we brought the, the wrath of God upon them. But no, they don't think about that. They simply do as they're told, and they go and ask of their neighbors this, And God blesses it. Uh, And the Lord, let's see, they ask articles of silver, gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians, precisely as was prophesied, precisely as was commanded, precisely as actually happened in history. And so the people were given favor. Now, this was of God. All right. Now, in one sense, we could say it's merely the natural outcome of the plagues that had come upon them and, and had so worked on the minds of the people of Egypt. Ma- Matthew Henry, uh, he, he was so good on this passage, I'll quote him twice. But, but first of all, he says this, God, by the plagues, have now made the Egyptians as willing to part with them on any terms as before the Egyptians, by their severities, had made them willing to go on any terms. Meaning, the people of God, the, God's people would have been glad to leave no matter what. If they had left everything behind and, and just left in their poverty, they would have been glad to just get out of there. But no, that's not the case. Though the Israelites were content to lose their wages, yet God would not let them go without them. One way or another, God will give redress to the injured who in a humble silence commit their cause to him, and he will see to it that none be losers at last by their patient suffering any more than by their, ser- their services. Well, God was going to make it so that even though they would have been glad to just get out of there with nothing, that they would leave wealthy. Now this was of God. Because they, the, the plagues had so worked upon the minds of the people that they wanted them 
uh, to go, but of course it was also supernatural. And God working upon people, and let us not ever forget that it is of God for people to be well disposed to us. I mentioned this morning that ordinarily people, unsaved people, the people of this world will not find us comfortable to be around because we remind them of, of God. We remind them of the moral law. We remind them of the judgment to come. And we, they, we are therefore, in the, the words of Paul, we're like the savor of death to them. We don't mean to be. We don't, we don't put it on like cologne in the morning and hoping to smell like death to them. But rather it's a savor of Christ that is on us as they, they recognize their own situation and, and they're made uncomfortable by it. Now we should say that we're also the savor of life to the living. Those who are Christians, well, they smell that too and they, they, they love it. It's the, the family scent. It's a beautiful one, a life-giving one. And we're glad to be around it. But if that's a natural and normal situation that the world uh, may not always like us, we know it's not always that way. And the reason it's not always that way is because God grants us favor in the sight of some. We have to understand that. And this was the case here. God had supernaturally granted the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And so when they come with a request, be them ever so unreasonable. Right? This is not, can I borrow some sugar? This was whatever. I mean, how much gold do you have in your house? I don't have much. How much silver? If you have any, they're the, the mo- among the most, certainly the most precious things that you would have. In most cases, this would amount to their life savings. We don't have that. We put that in our, our banks. We don't have little gold bars or something in this society. And somebody, your neighbor, shows up and says, if you have any silver or gold, we'd like it, please. Well, it was an unreasonable request. But because of the favor that God had granted, even this, this totally unreasonable request is granted. Such is the power and the sovereignty of God. So the people, you see, the people were given favor. That was point one, the people. And also Moses, their leader. Secondly, Moses was made great. In verse 3, Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. Wasn't very great to begin with. He shows up to the court, and, and, and Pharaoh very contemptuously asks, Who are you? And who is this God whom you serve? Well, he, he, he knows who Moses is now. He knows who this God is now. And all the people do as well. They know the name Moses by this point. And God had made him very great in their sight. All that's emphasized in verse 8. All these, your servants, this is God speaking, or this is Moses speaking for God. And he is speaking to Pharaoh and saying what is going to happen All these, your servants, will come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you. And then I will go out. And then I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. You see, these ones who are not willing at first to acknowledge him, those who are contemptuous of him, they will and they did come and bow down before him and beg him to leave the very thing which he came at the beginning more or less hat in hand about. Because God, in his power and demonstrating his power, had taken this man. He wasn't much. Look at the way he was as we began this story. 
This man who is on the run, this man who is a shepherd. Yes, he'd grown up in the court, but all that was in the past. For 40 years there, a shepherd in the the desert. And he himself was weak enough that he did not want to do it. And asked several times that the Lord give it to someone else or send someone else. And says his own speech is too weak to do this work. God had made him great. And let me say, if anyone is truly great... It is because God makes them great. Anyone that you see now, anyone that you see in all the history of the world that you would consider in right and just terms to be great, you can be certain that God made that man or woman great because it is not in ourselves to do that. It's of God. God made Moses great. And so it is with all of God's people. You know, the fact is, that thing, that scenario that was just painted with regard to the people of Egypt, that is not just for Moses, that is for all of God's people. Did you know? Did you know that one day those who held us in contempt will come in humility before us, bowing down? It's true. Revelation 3, 8 says this, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. I've kept my word, and have not denied my name. There's nothing special about that. They didn't, they're not wonderful, amazing heroes of the faith. All they did was not deny the Lord Jesus. All they did was be faithful to him. There's no particular accomplishment that is being listed, but here's what's going to happen. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan... Who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come down and worship before your feet to know that I've loved you. You understand that these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself speaking to his church. He says, I, it will be my pleasure, it will be to, it is my desire that those who have dealt with you so contemptuously and have persecuted you that they come and bow down in recognition that you were my people, and that you are merely being faithful to the commandments you've received of me, we will be made great. First Corinthians 6, 7 says, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? The saints will judge the world. We will be set up. We who in ourselves are worthy of, of, of not running errands for the Lord, yet we will be made judges of the world. And, and Paul speaks as if they should know this, that every child of God should understand, you soon enough will be a judge of the earth. Do you not know the saints will judge the world? And if the world be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Moses was made great. Matthew Henry says, those who honor God, he will honor. And with respect to those that approve themselves, Faithful to him, how meanly soever they may pass through this world, meaning however humbly, however without notice, however low they may be in the eyes of the world, there is a day coming when they will look great, very great in the eyes of all the world, even theirs now who look upon them with utmost contempt. Moses was made great in the sight of the people, and so it will be for every one of God's people. This is the... It's to the honor, it is the the prerogative of our God to do that. The people, Moses, and thirdly, God, and specifically God's favor. 
I want us to understand that God desires this to be. God desires to make a distinction and to make that visible throughout all the world. Verse 7 says, But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And here's what he's speaking about. He's talking about the death of the firstborn, and we're going to speak of that more next time, Lord willing. But he's speaking about the the, the death of the firstborn of everyone in the nation of, of Egypt, from the greatest, from Pharaoh, to the least, as he says in this chapter. And what he is saying is, so far from one of your children being dying in, in the midst of this, I want to make the distinction so clear that not one of you is, is even going to be harmed. It's, it's not as if one of your firstborn is going to be deathly ill but survive. It's not going to be that, it, that he has a minor injury tonight. Nothing's going to happen. In fact, a dog is not going to bark at your cattle as you, as you leave tonight because I want you to understand that I am your God and I, I want the rest of the world to know that I make a distinction and I will bless and save my own beloved people and nothing will harm them. Does that sound familiar to you? Does it sound something like what we heard this morning? So we understand that not a hair of our heads will fall to the ground for that God will uphold us in his blessing and his power and his grace. This is a favor of God. He's going to make a distinction between his own people and the Egyptians. And all that is based, again, on, on what? Again, you're tempted. If you just read it here, you're tempted to say, well, I guess the people of Israel are just better. Surely they're better than the people of Egypt. People of Egypt are nasty and mean. People of, of Israel are wonderful, faithful people. And therefore, that's the distinction. But it's not. Right? It's in the sovereignty of God that he made, bestows his favor. That's what it says in Exodus 33. There are many places we could go. I'm going to read this at length. Exodus 33, verse 11 to 17. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend And we returned to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, Show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, don't bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? That is a great concern for Moses. That's the only thing he's concerned about this point. He wants to know that, that he and the people have found grace in the sight of God. That's the only thing that matters. He knows he has the power. That's in no doubt anymore. All he wants to know is that he has grace in the sight of God. And the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that Wonderful, that's what it all boils down to. 
finding grace in the sight of the Lord, that he, is, he knows us by name. That is what is said in John chapter 10. We can't get away from John chapter 10. God forbid that we should ever get away from John chapter 10. Do you know what it says? He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Has he spoken your name? Does he know your name? Has he called you by name, called you out of darkness into marvelous light? He has that prerogative, you know. He calls some names and not all names. Now, as for us, the only thing we can do, of course, is to to call on the name of the Lord. And in fact, he says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. We understand from a more ultimate perspective, it is of God, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is of God to give us the faith to believe. It is of God to make a distinction and bestow favor and grace upon us just because he is a sovereign God. It is to his glory and prerogative to do these things. The people, Moses, God. Applications. First of all, seek favor with God. That's, that's, that's it. What Moses said, that's it. Lord, I, I want to know that I have your favor. He comes asking that the Lord might bestow favor upon him. And we should seek favor with God because this, my friends, is a religion of grace. It is hard, I would say, it is probably harder for people in this culture than at virtually any time in a place that has any heritage of the gospel at all to, to understand how that works. You know, we are so thankful that this is, is not some terrible dictatorship of which someone operates by mere fiat and whim at, 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 and we are so thankful that we have rules and legislations and bureaucracy in place that when we go, we, don't, we, we come seeking a driver's license that one person takes a bribe, the other one doesn't. Or, or if the person likes the way you look, they grant you a license. And if they don't, then they, they don't. I mean, we should be thankful that there is the rule of law in these things and that there is objectivity and all the rest of it. But the one problem with it is that we don't understand how God works. Because we think he's like a bureaucrat. That's the way that we tend to think in this society, that, that if we show up to the place at the appointed time and, and we carry out the checklist that has been given to us, that we should pass and we should be given the, the certification. We should be given the credential. And friends, that is not the way it works at all. God is not a bureaucrat. He bestows favor upon those whom he bestows favor. And do not come to him demanding justice. We come to him begging that he might bestow his favor upon us. You know, that's, that's the thing about pray, uh, uh, prayer. That, that's what prayer is. Okay, I, 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 I was trying to define prayer, and I was trying to define what it is, the way that we should come to God, and I said, you come to a sovereign God who can grant a request or not as he see fits, and you pray. And then I said, and you, what you're doing then is, what, is pray, what prayer is, is asking with an element of begging. And I was almost, 
I was tentative even to, to, to say the word element of begging. And friends, I don't know why. Because that is exactly what we do before God. Okay? What exactly is a beggar? We don't even have beggars anymore. We have people that sometimes demand something from you. We don't have real beggars. Right? A beggar has nothing, has no claim on the person he's asking, has no way to repay. And, and they, they're unworthy, completely unworthy of the favor, and they know it. They know it. That's what a real beggar is like. And the only, the only thing that they come then is completely hat in hand. And they say, please, I beg you. That's what a beggar is. And that's the way we come to God. And you know that's why people don't? I've told you, you can have heaven. You can have unlimited wealth. You can have the favor of God. You can be born into, you can be adopted into the family. You can be made the bride of Christ. All of your dreams come true for all of eternity. There's nothing more that could possibly be added to it. In fact, the more I spend time as a Christian, the more it gets better and better and better. And I keep, I, I think back to if, no, would that add to it? Would, would that add to it? And I realize it's even better than what, what I thought it might be. And that's only now. In eternity, we'll find out it's even better than that. And all you have to do is ask. But that is exactly the problem. That's why the majority of people will not do it. Will not put their faith in Christ. Will not receive that gift because it's begging. And they don't want charity. Friends, please want the charity that is extended to you. Pray like you mean it. Pray to a God who is able and sovereignly able to dispose of you as he sees fit. Receive his grace because he is graceful. Receive his mercy. Come in the name of Jesus Christ. There's this thing, interesting thing of uh, lore among Sicilian mobsters. The idea that if you come on the day of the the wedding of their, their daughter, that they can't refuse you. My friends, there's something better than that when you come to a living God. Those who come the name of his beloved son will not be turned away. Those who come pleading the, the shed blood of Christ and say, is, is that not enough? Is that not sufficient? They will not be turned away. And of all of our journeys throughout all the, the word of God, and particularly in the gospel of Luke as we've gone, no one who has come in the day of mercy has ever turned away. So I, I, I beg you, don't come with your, with your tick list to a bureaucrat. Come hat in hand begging from a merciful God and you will receive favor from him. You'll be saved as you come in the name of the Lord Jesus. So seek favor with the God. Secondly, we should embrace favor with God. Okay. As I say, it's a religion of grace. That's the way we come. But it's also a religion of grace. And that's the way that we, we stay. That's the way that we, we do it. Because this is a religion of pure grace. Some of us struggle with that. Even after we're Christians. We, we struggle with the idea of grace. And we need to embrace it. We need to embrace it. Okay? I, I want us to understand that if you're a Christian, you're a golden boy. Golden girl. 
And if the thought ever occurs to you and say, how am I possibly worthy of all the, the benefits and blessings that God has bestowed on you, you're thinking right, okay? You're thinking right. No, you don't deserve it. Of course you don't. Not at all. But I want you to embrace that favor. God wants you to. Let's not walk around as hangdogs, but rather those who have embraced the favor that we've received and enjoy what we've been given. You know that's our purpose, right? We're to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. God does not receive any greater glory because you're miserable. God is glorified indeed in that you joyfully receive all the good things that he gives to you. And my friends, my counsel to you is embrace it. Embrace the goodness of God as he and his sovereignty has bestowed favor upon you. Titus, sorry, 1 Timothy 6.17 says that we should trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. This is our Heavenly Father. He's given us richly all things to enjoy. We should embrace that. Thirdly, we should pray for the favor, favor in the sight of man. We should pray for favor in the sight of man. Again, this is a counterbalance to what was said this morning. Because yes, the general and natural condition is that the world hates the church and all the rest of it. But it's not only and always that way. We know that there are exceptions, notable and important exceptions. We think, for example, of, of, of Nehemiah who was the cupbearer to this pagan emperor. And you remember how he prayed in Nehemiah 1.10? These are your servants, your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day. I pray and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. And the Lord granted him mercy again to his amazing request that one of the king's most trusted and valuable servants should be given a long period of leave to go do something else and all the means that that went along with it. God granted him favor in the sight of that man. And beloved, we have among us those who interact with the authorities of this world on occasion, sometimes routinely. And they... And we should pray that they be granted favor in the sight of man. That is not anything against God. That is not any lack of faith. That is a demonstration of faith. It is an opportunity for God to be glorified as we specifically pray that we and others among us would be granted favor in the sight of those who are in authority. We have seen many answered prayers in this regard. Many. And we should pray for more. Fourthly and finally, let me say this. Remember that distinction is of God. Yes, we pray for favor in the sight of man, but we, not, we need to remind ourselves and, and, and understand that distinction is part of God's plan. The Lord wanted to show the difference between his people and Pharaoh's people because they were different in his eyes, and he wanted to make that clear to the whole world. And so he, he shows off the, the enormous distinction in his eyes between his own people and the Egyptians. 
And he would go on, as we're going to see in this book, he's going to go on to give the ceremonial law to uphold and to highlight the distinction. Did we soon enough come upon the Passover? But friends, this, is, this principle is very much in place today. Very much in place. That we are a holy and set-apart people. Remember, holiness, yes, means moral purity. But it also means separation. Being set apart, being consecrated for something special. God wants us to be different. Deuteronomy 7. You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Now, it's nothing that we did. Just to reiterate this again. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you are more in number than other people, for you are the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt. A special treasure, his own holy people. He wants us to be different. So we should embrace that too. As just even as we embrace the goodness of God, his favor just flowing upon us, we should also embrace that this means that we should and must be different to the glory of God. All of it to the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are truly sovereign over the affairs of man. Sovereign over all the things, the workings of the universe. All these things are to your glory. And Lord, among a mass of perishing people, among a group of sinners, all of whom deserve nothing but death and judgment and hell, Lord, you bestow grace on some, indeed many. And Lord, your promises, your covenant promises are so wonderfully free and great. And salvation, truly, it is a gift, a gift of grace received by faith alone. And now, Lord, we pray that we would come to you not as a bureaucrat demanding that we receive as our due, but rather, Lord, that we come to a sovereign asking grace, asking mercy. And, Lord, we have every confidence and assurance that we shall receive it. And, Lord, having received these things, we pray that we would embrace them. Yes, Lord, that we would revel in the good things, that we are the favored ones of heaven. Rejoice in them and enjoy them. Lord, recognizing all this time that, Lord, even in the reception of all these good things, precisely because of it, that we are and must be different and seem to be different. How we pray, Lord, that you'd make us to be evermore a holy people, set apart for your delight, even as we delight in you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.